This is Real Estate Rookie episode 141. What's more important is that I just pick something and I start working towards it. And if I pivot down the road, I pivot down the road, but just getting it down on paper, having that goal in place was a huge kind of eye-opening moment for me. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to The Real Estate Rookie, where we motivate and inspire new real estate investors by making this a safe place where there's no question that's too small, too dumb, too silly to be answered or to be asked. We take care of all of that so you can get started in your real estate investing journey. Tony, today we have a different type of show for everyone today. We do not have a guest with us. It is going to be an Ashley and Tony takeover of the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited. We did this at the end of last year where we did, I think, like the top 10 most asked questions from real estate investors. And that episode did tremendously well with the listeners. We got a lot of positive feedback from that episode. So we figured, you know, as we get to the end of the year this time, let's maybe do something similar and see if we can get some value again to the listeners in that way. So no guests, just Ashley and Tony for a whole, whole episode. <laughs> Yeah. So since we started doing the Rookie Reply episodes on Saturdays now, we answer a lot of your guys' questions there. We didn't want to do a repeat of those. So we sat down and we took a look at how we have changed, we have pivoted, what lessons we have learned over the past year. And we're going to break them down and hopefully you guys will either find them relatable or you will be able to look at your own business and your own real estate investing and maybe see some changes that you need to make or take look at the lessons we have learned and not make those same mistakes yourself. Yeah. I mean, and and just take our advice with a grain of salt, right? Like Ashley and I, we're regular people still trying to figure it out. But these are some of the lessons that we've learned in this last year that we hope you as the listeners can get some value from as well. So yeah, hopefully you guys can can enjoy it. But I guess before we dive in, Ashley, let's give a quick life update. What's new in the world of Ashley Care? Do you really want me to start crying now on the podcast? <laughs> we got to share the good and the bad. <laughs> so I found this campground and it had been foreclosure property. The bank had foreclosed on it. Been vacant for a year and a half. You guys probably have heard me talk about it on the podcast before. I've been working on this for about six weeks now. Put in my offer and it was best and final offer called about 10 days ago. And it was me and an out-of-state investor group that was left. We were the last two, and they said they would let us know. And I just found out yesterday that they accepted the other offer, and it's really disappointing. This was a $3 million offer that I put in, and this is by far the largest (laughs) offer I have ever put in on a property. And I was so excited, and I was so nervous, but I was really motivated to make this deal work. And to get this campground up and running again. But that's not going to happen unless their deal falls through. But instead of sulking and whining, my business partner said, well, let's look at this other property. We've been kind of eyeing and let's keep moving forward. And so he keeps me motivated and keeps me on track. And now in a couple of days, we're going to take a side by side to tour this other property. So moving forward. So you, you shared a low and then you shared a high, right? Like obviously you were sad about missing out on that first property, but there's so many other opportunities out there. So kudos to you for bouncing back. Yeah. And you know what really stinks is that my partner, he listens to the podcast and he'll constantly use my own advice against me and it's getting really annoying. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but he, you know, he's just like, there's always a better deal. There's a better deal out there. This one just yeah. isn't meant to be. See that that's Which the benefit true. of having your voice like eternalized in a podcast is that yeah. or maybe the, maybe it's the downside, I don't know, but it's like when you give really good advice, it doesn't just disappear. It's memorialized forever on the podcast, you know. So. And that's like the thing is like sometimes even I need a reality check as to yeah, there's going to be another deal out there. It's not the end of the world. It's yeah, you worked on this for 6 weeks, you really wanted it, but it didn't work out. Move on. Keep going. Yeah. On to the next one. Yeah. And what about you, Tony? 
Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll start with like a low for me. We spent about five months rehabbing a property out here in Joshua Tree. It was a, a difficult rehab. If you want the whole backstory, you got, I put out a YouTube video about it. Uh, check out the Real Estate Robinsons. We, we kind of talked about the behind the scenes experience there. But anyway, the rehab finished and the end result was really good. A beautiful property, three bedroom out in Joshua Tree. But we decided to walk away from that deal altogether. We had some partners on that deal and they were, they were great people, great partners, love them to death. But the structure itself just wasn't, we realized as we went through the process, the way that we structured that partnership didn't align with our long-term goals for our business. So we managed the rehab, we got the property ready for those partners, and then we were able to kind of pass it off to them to run with it and get it, get it running as an Airbnb. So sucks that we lost, you know, a few months of our lives on this project, but I think the value from that lesson was probably more, more important for us. So there's some long-term value for us there. Well, always a learning experience and a lesson learned for sure in some of these things. And it can be even with money lost or money spent, it can be considered an opportunity cost instead of just a wasted money or a loss too. But let's uh, get into the show and let's talk more about things that we have learned this year and lessons that we have painfully made and how we're actually what we're going to do moving forward. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers... Proof of Income Verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with RentReady. Now, RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor for six months of rent ready for only $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son, Ted, is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. So Tony, you want to talk a little bit about first how we've laid this out as to the three different kind of categories and then a brief breakdown of what we're going to go over? Yeah, absolutely. Read my mind. So we broke it down into three main categories. The first category we called business development, which kind of has to do with your team, your systems, your processes, your vision, things like that. 
Then the second category is just all about partnerships. Ash and I both leverage partnerships pretty heavily in our businesses. So we figured we share some lessons learned there. And then the last one is a little bit more intangible, but it's about the motivation and the inspiration that comes along with and is required to become a successful real estate investor. So some of these stories, maybe you guys have heard if you, as you listen to other episodes, or maybe you guys follow us on Instagram. And if you're not following us on Instagram, make sure you do. I'm at Tony J. Robinson. She's at Wealth from Rentals. So, you know, if you guys follow us there, maybe some of these stories sound familiar, but we really want to try and break down not just the stories, but the lessons and things that we've learned as we've gone through these categories. So again, let's take it back to category one, which is business development. So let's start first, maybe about like niching down and how that can have an impact on your business. What does that look like for you this year? So I felt lost for a while as to what I wanted to do. So my main business has always been basically burrs, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, and finding undervalued properties, doing either cosmetic updates or, you know, full gut rehabs and then renting them out. And honestly, I've gotten bored with it, which is not a good excuse to not do it anymore. But I felt like I became experienced in doing burrs and rentals in my market, in my area. And I live for a challenge and I like learning new things. So I learned over the past year that my current business can still keep going and I can focus because I've gotten it to the point where it's pretty automatic. It runs very smooth. I know what I'm doing, but I didn't know what I wanted to focus on. So I looked at self-storage. I looked at campgrounds. I looked at mobile home parks. I looked at commercial property. I looked at apartment complexes and I felt like I was so all over the place. And then I had this moment just talking to someone, having a conversation and they said, that's it. And I was like, what do you mean? And I had been talking about a campground I wanted to buy. And they're like, you can, the passion is radiating out of you for this. Like you're just spewing off all these random facts about it. And so at that moment, I knew that I wanted to go after campgrounds, that I was actually excited about it. And it wasn't because another investor was doing it. It wasn't because it made the most sense. It wasn't because it was the easiest to get into or the most opportunity but it was because there was all of those things. Plus, I was passionate about it. So I've decided to niche down on campgrounds and continue doing for investing in my area. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll share my, my kind of experience because it parallels yours. But then I, I want to ask you a question about the value of niching down. Kind of similar situation, right? I feel like you and I have shared this a lot with each other that we both felt kind of lost in terms of what the future of our businesses should look like. And we'll, we'll get into like the goal setting and the vision planning here in a bit. But when I started investing in real estate back in 2019, I knew that I wanted to scale to a big portfolio. Like I never wanted to be the guy that just had five or six or 10 rentals, right? Like I, I want a large, huge, massive portfolio. That's my goal. So I, I kind of had that big picture in the back of my mind. And then last summer, in the middle of 2020, is when we decided to focus on short-term rentals. And before we bought that first property, that first short-term rental, I asked myself, I said, can I commit to focusing on short-term rentals and becoming world-class at this for at least the next five years? Like, can I just put pretty much all of my energy into this one asset class for the next five years? And I told myself, yes. And, you know, I could honestly say that, yes, I, I enjoy the thought of doing this enough to dedicate the next five years of my life to this one asset class. So I had that level of clarity last year when we first got into it. So I knew that I was going to niche down into that asset class. I think the kind of struggle that I had this year was like, okay, now I'm in this asset class, but there's so many different ways and strategies and techniques that you can use to build a portfolio within the world of short-term rentals and vacation rentals. So I think now we've gained some clarity on what that path looks like for us. So we're going to continue to buy, operate, renovate short-term rentals in the single family space. But we also want to graduate into the commercial world of short-term rentals where we're buying kind of boutique motels and hotels that we can operate as short-term rentals as well. Um, and we've got a goal of getting to a thousand units by the end of 2023. And we're at like, I don't know if you count the stuff we have under contract, like 18 or something like that. So we got a long way to go. But uh, I, I think it was helpful for us just to kind of have that clear path of where we wanted to go. So let me ask you, Ashley, because I, I know that there are a lot of benefits that I see with niching down, but I feel that as a new investor for a lot of the rookies that are listening 
they might be afraid of getting really narrow with their focus in the world of real estate investing, right? Like campgrounds is a very narrow market. Short-term rental is a very specific market. What do you feel is the benefit of going niche and going deep into one kind of focus as opposed to saying, I'm the guy or the girl that does a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything? I think the real benefit is that you stay focused and you're going to see more opportunity because you're not wasting time chasing after so many things. You can only analyze so many deals or have so many deals brought into you. And if you're getting self-storage deals, mobile home park deals, you're getting campground deals and you're having to analyze all of these it is going to be very overwhelming. I mean, even if you're hiring people, you're wasting resources, having them chase all these different things. Then, okay, say you get a self-storage under deal, you get a mobile home park under deal, you get a campground deal under contract, you get, okay, that's three different businesses that you're building. And yes, you can try and incorporate them, but they're three different animals. They're managed differently, each of those three asset classes. So I think that's like a huge part of it too, is if you really want to be the best at something, niche down and focus on that. So this was actually a conversation I had with Brandon Turner at AJ Osborne self-storage conference. He kind of put me into the, the hot seat and said, look at our friends look at them and you tell me what they each do. So Brandon Turner, you know him for mobile home parks, AJ Osborne, you know him for self-storage and you know, the list goes on. James Daynard, you know him for house flipping. And he said, each one of them have niched down. Now tell me a successful investor that is doing 50 different things at once. And he said, the key is you do what you know and you figure that out and then you get it set. Then you can pivot just like Brandon is pivoting now and going towards apartment complexes. Now that he has the, you know, his mobile home park portfolio built up, he's experienced in that, then he can pivot. Don't try and build all of these different things at once. Focus on one and really niche down. So that was like my first aha moment of like this two week world tour I did. <laughs> and then the couple of days later is when I had the conversation about the campgrounds and realizing that I really had to niche down in that too. Ashley, what a phenomenal like breakdown of the power of niching down. You start with this narrow focus, you get really good at that. And then your sphere of influence starts to gradually increase from there. But if you go the other way, it gets a little bit harder to have that same impact. I guess like along the same lines of niching down, let's talk a little bit about like the goal setting and like vision planning lessons that we've learned this year. So I can kind of share my experience and then I'll I'll turn it over to you. But there's a lot of power in having a crystal clear vision for yourself. Brandon recommends the Vivid Vision. I've read that book. I've done my Vivid Vision. And it was like such such an eye-opening experience for me to just kind of sit down and try and really visualize what the future of my company and my life looks like three, four years down the road. And having that clarity gave me so much peace of mind. So here's, I guess, where where the challenge was for me and and where the vivid vision kind of helped me clarify that. I was a little uncertain of which way to take my business and what that vision should look like. And the realization that I had was that it doesn't really matter what direction we go in as long as I choose a direction that I'm happy about, right? Like I was waiting for someone to give me the perfect answer of what my future business should look like. Like literally, I was talking to so many different people, like, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And there was this moment of clarity that happened for me where it was like, it honestly doesn't matter. Like the actual goal that I set in itself doesn't matter as long as it's something that I'm excited about, What's more important is that I just pick something and I start working towards it. And if I pivot down the road, I pivot down the road. But just getting it down on paper, having that goal in place was a huge kind of eye-opening moment for me. So what does that experience look like for you this year, Ash? I'm the worst at like goal setting. I'm awful at it. And I really have to sit down or be forced to sit down and do it. And I think for you, when you did the Vivid Vision, it was at the Maui Masterclass. Right. right? Yeah. On Yeah. On the flight back home. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first time I had done a vivid vision when I went to Maui too. And I think that just being like forced to actually look and sit down 
Well, what I did worked better for me was instead of like writing out paragraphs of your vision of how I see myself in the future, how I see my business, I did bullet points and that worked a lot better for me. So I sat down and did the bullet points. And then from there, I drew off of, okay, how am I going to get to these things? What are the next immediate goals I need to do? And so the first is really acquire a campground. (laughs) And, but yeah, I think with goal setting, And you keep focusing on that and you have to set it as a reminder. So the first campground, well, this would be the second one that I've offered on the one that I just lost out on yesterday. It's actually been the screensaver on my phone to like keep me motivated for going after. So if anyone's watching this on YouTube, I think I've showed it before maybe actually, but to keep me motivated. So now I got to switch that to the next property (laughs) that I'm looking at. Yeah. Goal setting for me has always been hard, especially like in the super far distance, because money doesn't motivate me. It's more of what my life is like. And the word that I use to motivate myself is I want to have a spontaneous life. I want to be able to say to my kids, "Okay, guess what? We're just going to go to Disney today. So let's go. Let's get on the plane or not even that. Just like be able to wake up and do whatever I want with my day and have it flexible. I do like to have a schedule. I like to know what's ahead, but I like to have that flexibility where I can change my schedule if possible. So I really like to relate my goals to that, being able to set my life that way. Ashley, that's another really important point. And I, I want to make sure that we we kind of really make that clear for the listeners. But when you think about goal setting for your real estate business, when you think about planning the future of your real estate business, you should be planning that around the kind of life that you want to live, right? Like I've got a goal of getting to a thousand units in the short-term rental space, but I also have a goal of my time involvement being less than what it is today where I'm at, you know, 10 active listings or whatever we're at right now. So it's like, I know that I need to kind of structure that business in a way, put the right people in place so that it's really a hands-off business for me, but it still provides me with the financial resources and windfall that I'm looking for. So don't just think about the end result in terms of the numbers, but also think about what your life looks like and how those two things kind of work together. Yeah, because you can make a lot of money working 80 hours a week. (laughs) Right. And I I think the key is finding ways to make money where you don't have to work 80 hours a week. And you can if you want to, but you don't have to. And at least that's what's important to me. And I I think a lot of people go into real estate investing because they want something similar like that, too. And definitely there is a big grind and you do have to hustle and you do have to work hard. But that doesn't mean you have to do that forever. And there's certainly a lot of ways to outsource and build a team, everything like that. And I think that kind of takes us into our next little topic under business development. Yeah, it read my <laughs> mind, right? Because I'm sure people are thinking like, Tony, how do you want a 100x your portfolio size? Or actually, how do you want to buy all these big campgrounds and not let it consume your life? And the answer to that is you build the right team, you put the right people in place. So I guess let's kind of clarify this before we get into it, right? Because there are two types of teams. There are your external team members, which are your contractor, right? People typically don't have a contractor on staff, right? That's someone that they hire out. Your accountant, your attorney, your bookkeeper, uh, your Your real estate agent. Right. Mm -hmm. Like these are all people that are part of your team, but technically they're their own entrepreneurs. They are their own people. They're running their own businesses. What Ashley and I are talking about on this kind of side of the conversation is like your internal team. So if you have Ricky Investor LLC, what does that actual LLC look like of the people that have either like an equity stake or or salary positions or, you know, even independent contractor positions within that LLC that you as the entrepreneur have ownership and control over? So Ashley, I guess kind of talk us through what, what that realization has looked for like you this year. Yeah. So I have an assistant now. Can you believe that? <laughs> so I didn't know that would actually be like my first like real hire. But yeah, I have an assistant now. So that was like my first step was like, there's so many little things I don't want to do anymore. And so she comes over to my house every Saturday for a couple hours. And I've been training her to do different things. And she just keeps adding them on to her 
weekly task list and eventually she'll probably work remotely or I'm trying to build out an office in this property I have under contract. She'll work from there maybe. But really the biggest thing has been taking on somebody to help me with acquisitions. And I know, Tony, you were kind of doing the same. So maybe we can kind of talk about this together and the very different ways that we have found the person we're going to put into this role. So acquisitions is where somebody is going to go and uh, source deals for you, analyze the deal and help you acquire the property. So that is a, a huge part of your business, finding somebody who can do that. Tony, do you want to go ahead and talk about first as to your process to find that person? Yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll take one step back before I get into that specific part. The place that I started was creating an org chart for my business. And the org chart was broken out into three kind of main categories. There was the operation side, there was the the finance side, and then there was the marketing side. So I had these three different kind of pillars in my business. And I said, in order to run an effective business, what are all of the positions that I need to have to make this thing run? And I started creating, okay, I need this position, right? I need someone to do the bookkeeping. I need someone to set up all of our new short-term rentals. I need someone to manage those short-term rentals on a daily basis. I need someone to manage the finance side of things, right? Like getting our lending set up and making sure that we're paying all the bills on time. And I just started putting all these different positions into place on this org chart. Now you might be thinking, Tony, I don't have a team of people to plug into all these seats. And that is totally fine because that's the same position I was in as well. Our team of running our short-term rentals is three people. It's me, my wife, Sarah, and her cousin, right? The three of us run the entire short-term rental business. So when we made that org chart, I made all of the positions that I felt that we needed. And then guess whose names went into all of those seats? Mine, Sarah's, and then our partner who's our... So each of us are holding three or four different positions within the business right now. But as we start to scale, our plan is to start passing off some of those lower level responsibilities to other people. But I think for us, having that org chart in place and trying to clearly define, even amongst ourselves, what roles each of us needs to play, it helped a reduce a lot of friction because there wasn't as much confusion around who was responsible for what. And then B, it gave us, I think, the confidence of knowing that as we start to scale, we already know where we're going to start plugging people in. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Tony, I just want to highlight one thing you said is that even though you are a husband and wife team and then Sarah's cousin too, but you still treat it as a business. And I think that's so important because you're just sitting at home, you're talking about, oh, well, you do this, I'll do this. And, you know, you can, whoever's convenient and stuff, but putting the actual rules in place is so important to, especially in the future when you do want to hire for roles and even just keeping track of defining who is doing what is setting that org chart for sure. What would be some advice that you would give anyone who is working on a husband and wife team and kind of divvying up those roles? Did you guys look at what you know your strengths and weaknesses are or just what you what each person wanted to do how did you decide who's going to be doing each role until you start to fill them yeah it was kind of a natural thing for us like as we started the business we all i think our eyes just all kind of went to different certain parts of the business like i don't want to set up insurance i don't want to set up the utilities i don't want to pay people like i'm i'm just not good at those kind of little detailed oriented tasks but my wife and her cousin, they're better at those things, but they're not tech savvy. So they're not the ones that are going to be able to set up all of our software that we need to run our business. But me, I love getting in there and setting all those things up. So I think part of it was just natural us kind of gravitating towards where our strengths were. But as we kind of progressed, we realized that there were certain things where we were stepping on each other's toes, like reordering the same supplies, or I was doing this thing on, on the property and someone else. So I think when we started to see the overlap, that's when we had the discussion around, okay, where does this role better fit with which person? And then we would just kind of have a discussion around, okay, I think it makes more sense for me to do this, or I think it makes more sense for you to do that. So I think naturally, just by running the business together, you're going to find some natural kind of tasks and duties that you each gravitate towards. And then where there's some discussion or some gray area, I think that's when you guys have the conversation around, okay, who makes more sense to kind of sit in the seat or take on that responsibility? And then how did you decide that the acquisitions position would be the first role that you would fill. But you do have VAs too. So your bookkeeper and other roles like that, but your first in-house internal hire, how did you decide that? Yeah. So we we landed on the acquisitions person as our first kind of person to, to bring on because that's kind of where the entire process starts, right? You can't raise money for a deal if you don't have a deal. You can't operate a property if you never found the property. So for us, if we look at just the timeline of events that need to happen for us to successfully own and operate a property, the acquisitions is probably the first part. So ours is a little different because it is commercial real estate. So it's not like someone's just like underwriting a regular single family house. Like where we're looking for our acquisitions person to step in is on underwriting larger commercial property. So it's, it is a slightly different skill set. But yeah, that, that's what we chose the acquisitions as the first person. And then, well, I guess I'll answer that real quick as to my part. And then we'll go into how you found that person and how you were searching for it. So for me, it actually, this person kind of just like fell into my lap and I decided that this would be the best position suited for them. And so it was really just this, whenever somebody says they hate their job, it always like little light bulb goes off as to how can I help you? <laughs> and it just worked out. So this person works a construction job during the summer and then is laid off in the winter. And so we started talking for a while about real estate investing and just his different strong suits. And at this time, there was no real conversation of him even coming to work with me. It was just me trying to get him interested in real estate investing and him just wanting to leave his job so much. 
But as we got to know each other, we realized we got along really well and that we actually would really enjoy working together. And then I started to notice a lot of his strong suits were my weaknesses. He was in the military and he did quality control over mechanics. And that is like something I want nothing to do with and find no joy in is quality control. And also now he's a foreman. So he has a lot of experience managing and those are great qualities. And so he's been working with me for a couple of weeks now when he's not at his other job and it's been growing really great. He's learning so much and just picking things up and it feels really great to like take some of that like pressure off my plate and just like a sense of relief. But also I think that I've grown as a person that I'm willing to give up control of things and I'm willing to listen to his ideas, how he's doing things better. So we went and walked a couple apartments the other day that we're going to be doing turnovers. And he's like looking at the scope of work, ripped it apart, built me a new one and was like, this is how this process is going to go from now on. And now he's doing the asset management pretty much for all of my rental properties. And I'm so happy. But it just like he saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity. And then we kind of pieced it together and and putting it into a position that suits both of us. So it benefits both of us. And I know that you're doing the hiring of the person a little bit differently. So with him, we have a dollar amount that he wants to make for the year. So my goal is to make sure in the spring that he doesn't have to go back to his job. And so I'm like hoarding money so that just in case whatever we're buying or whatever can't support it, that I'm going to pay him out so that he can keep working with me. And so it's going to be an equity piece, too. So he'll get equity in anything that we purchase. And so he'll be building well, that way too. Yeah, and I think that's you made a couple of really good points there. Actually, I think the first part is about relinquishing control because a lot of people have never done that before, and it's a very foreign thing for a lot of people. But I think if you really want to scale your real estate business, there are certain tasks that at some point you're going to have to give up to somebody else. Yeah, and one thing for me too is like giving up equity. One thing that I've really noticed is that someone is a lot more motivated, does a better job if they have ownership in that thing and if they're a part of it. And if he's going to be one of the first people that I bring on to my internal team and going to and already has shown his worth with I mean, I haven't even paid him a dollar or done provided any value to him at all. And he's been spending every Friday and almost every Saturday working with me, just learning as much as he can. And I think that I want to give a piece of what I'm building to somebody who's helping me, you know, from the ground up, especially campgrounds. This is all new to me. This will be a new business. And if he's willing to take the time now to take on this adventure with me, I I think it's super beneficial for people to look into giving equity away too, instead of just hiring that person. And paying them salary. So that equity piece, I think it kind of takes us to our next point, which is category two, which is partnerships. So let's talk a little bit about some of the pros and cons, Ashley, of leveraging partnerships. And we can get into kind of how to structure them at a, at a later point. But I guess just from the jump, some things that jump out to me in terms of pros and cons around partnerships. There's a few categories that I look at when I say, do I need to partner? And I guess this kind of also extends to like hiring people and bring them onto your team, right? But the reasons that I look for a partner center around the financial ability, the time ability, the ability ability, and then the (laughs) the desire, right? So finances, time, ability, and desire. If I'm lacking in one of those areas, then there's a good chance that I need to partner with someone or hire someone onto my team, right? Like, let's say that I have, I don't have the money to buy my first real estate deal, but I have the time I have the ability, I have the desire, I can find a money partner to kind of fill that gap for me. Let's say on the flip side, I have the money, I have the ability, I have maybe the time, but I don't have the desire, 
then I, I need to find someone that can go and do those jobs that I don't want to do. So you're, you're, you're going to be able to mix and match across those four different categories to kind of find someone that can complement you. Because even if you have all four, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be providing all four, right? There might be a partner that can kind of mix and match with you. So when we talk about pros and cons of partnerships, I think I look at it from that angle first to say, do I need to partner or where does it make sense for me to partner? And then from there, I think the benefits and the the downsides are kind of more clear to, to the person. That was a really great breakdown of partnerships and what to look for. And if you even need a partner and then giving up, basically you were saying you were, give, even though you could do all four things, you're giving up control of one of those things to bring somebody. And that's the whole idea of not having to work forever is because you can leverage other people to give yourself buy back some more time for yourself. Yeah. With my partnerships, my first partner was just a money partner. And that's it. And he still is. If there's a deal I need money for, I go to him. My second partner was money and time and experience. And he's kind of shifted away now where he doesn't have the time and he's not as experienced as he used to be because he doesn't really do much real estate investing anymore the last couple of years. And so then with my new partner, he is learning. So hopefully have some experience. And then also uh, he has a lot of time. So huge benefits. And I, I keep teasing him because he is a veteran that he gets a VA loan. I'm like, what are we going to buy with your VA loan? <laughs> there you go. He, he's solving one of those categories for you, right? He's bringing some value. Yeah, I'm sure there's military discounts on uh, materials too. There you go. That's, the, that, that's the real reason why you brought him in, right? You just yeah. want the, the discount. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Ashley, because this is a question that I know I get asked all the time. And it's the question of what does the right partnership structure look like? And I guess before we, we kind of get into that, let me ask you this question. Do you feel that every partnership should be 50-50? Like, is that always the right structure for people? So this question makes me cringe because there's no right answer <laughs> because there's no right partnership structure. As long as it's legal, you can structure it as however you want. There's no correct way to do it. I started off 50-50. My second partner, he and I did 50-50. And then we bought another property where I was putting in the money. I had acquired the deal and I was going to be helping him with his part of the deal as to doing the rehab. So we decided I should have 60% and he should have 40% because I was putting more into the property than he was. And that worked out fine. So I think be flexible that knowing that it really the partnership structure can go deal by deal or it can change over time. Uh, but no, I don't think it has to be 50 50 at all. What about you, Tony? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I echo your same thoughts that I, I think it's impossible for you and I to tell someone else what the ideal way is to structure a partnership because we don't know the unique circumstances of their situation. But I, I think when you're evaluating a partnership, there are a few different ways that that people can like levers that that you can pull, right? Like there's the capital that needs to be brought. There's the mortgage that needs to be carried. There's the ongoing property management or project management if it's a flip. Maybe there's the, if, if it's a long-term tenant, like, you know, talking with the tenants and dealing with all those things. So th there's like different jobs that need to be played within any real estate deal that you get into. And what you and your partner need to do is kind of go through all of those different jobs and identify what value you assign to each of those. And if you're doing four of the valuable jobs and your partner's only doing one, then maybe it doesn't make sense to go 50-50, right? Maybe it's 75-25, right? But if maybe if that partner's only job is bringing the capital and carrying the mortgage, maybe that is worth 50% of the deal. But that's a discussion that you and your partner have to come to an agreement on. But you can, like Ashley said, you can structure it in any way that you want to. Like there is no right or wrong way to structure a partnership. It's whatever makes you happy and your partner happy and makes you both feel like it's a win-win situation. I think that was one of the biggest revelations I had this year. There's no cookie cutter like way to make it happen. Now, I will give one word of caution when it comes to, to partnerships. And this is something that we've recently started doing with some of our partnerships is that if it's someone that you don't know all that well, right? Like maybe you, you recently met this person and you don't have a really deep understanding of who they are. It might be beneficial to have a predetermined end date for that 
relationship. So say, for example, that you guys buy a property today, maybe in your agreement, you say the default option is that we sell this property after three years or five years or whatever time period you want. And that the only way that you continue that partnership is if both of you agree to continue that partnership. That way, if for whatever reason, maybe it's not a terrible partnership, but maybe it's just not something you want to work with long term. You don't have this obligation to stay with them forever. So just a, a little tidbit, something we picked up this year that, that might be helpful for some of you that are listening. Yeah, that's such a great point, Tony. And choosing a partner is like getting into a marriage. Totally. <laughs> and I feel like with some of my partners, it'd be harder to divorce them than my husband. <laughs> Seriously. But, and that's like the thing is people change and your goals change and their goals may change. And that's why having alignment meetings to seeing if you're on the same page or not. And one thing that I have struggled with is so now I'm on to my third partner, you know, me getting around (laughs) that I look back and I like feel bad. Like my first partner, like he got me started and now I don't do a ton of deals with him at all. And it took me a long time to realize like, that's okay. You don't have to stay like I'm growing. I'm scaling. I spend every day focused on real estate investing, learning about it. That doesn't mean that I have to carry somebody else with me or drag them with me. That's okay. that, you know, if they do want to invest with me, sure, they can be a private money lender for me or something like that. So that was one of my realizations this year, too, is that it's okay to move on to another partner and to do different deals and do different things with other people that I don't, I felt like obligated because these two partners helped me in the beginning, but I had to realize that I've helped them more in the long run. So that was a a big realization of mine. I'm so glad you shared that, Ashley, because I, I know a lot of people can feel that sense of accountability towards that first partner. But like you said, at the end of the day, this is a business that we're running. And you have to make decisions that are in alignment with the long-term health of your business, of your personal goals. You know, obviously we're not telling you to like backstab people and, you know, not follow through <laughs> on your commitments. But if you if you guys have done a deal, the deal is successful, it doesn't necessarily mean that your next deal has to be with that same person as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm super happy you, uh, you clarified that point. So uh, we only got a few minutes left here, Ash. We probably got about like five minutes left. So maybe let's jump onto that that last category of motivation and inspiration and uh, kind of break down how that's played a role for us this past year. Now, I feel like you, Ashley, have blossomed in the last 12 months with your social network. Like you're, you're out in all these different places, doing all these different things, going to different events, meeting different people. Actually, it was just, it wasn't the last 12 months. It was like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go like four places. That's true. <laughs> but why, why was that important to you? Because I think a lot of the listeners, they hear us speak, you know, every week, every Wednesday and Saturday on the podcast. And a lot of times they think that we've got it all figured out and we know what we're doing, but that's not the case, right? And a lot of times we still need that that kind of push. So anyway, why, why was it important for you to kind of really get out in person, talk to a lot of people, you know, get connected with other investors? Like what impact did that have for you? Motivation and inspiration. When I am at one of these events... I want to go back to my room at night or at some part of the day. And I just like want to dive into work and like get things done. Like, oh, this is what I learned from Sonia. This is what somebody told me. And and then especially when I get home, like I feel like I'm on some kind of high or something. Just like the adrenaline is still pumping through me. And I definitely I love living off of adrenaline. Like I like being a risk taker. I like the challenge of things and going to these different events. They keep me motivated. I mean, I live on a farm in the middle of nowhere. There's not very many real estate (laughs) investors near me. I had this one farmer call me the other day and he's like, so remember that property I took you to like a year ago? I'm about to close on it. Let's do new development on it. And I'm like, yes, let's do it. And I'm like already brainstorming all these things. He's like, well, I'm just, you know, it's probably gonna be a couple of years. I just wanted to put a little bug in your ear so I don't call you in two years and you're already doing it with somebody else. I'm like, oh, Okay, talk to you in two years. (laughs) Where I was like already gung-ho, like, yes, let's call the engineer tomorrow. But uh, so I think like getting out and networking with other investors and especially the in-person experience and building friendships on top of that work relationship or just the real estate talk really helps too. I'm definitely not that person that likes to go to play dates and to school events and 
like talk about your kids, those kind of events, I'm very introverted. But if you get me at a real estate conference, I will be on the stage. (laughs) 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 Some of you who are in New Orleans, but there's no, no issues referencing right now. But actually like so many good points, right? I, I think there is a huge emotional impact that comes along with getting in the same space as 100, 500, 1,000 other real estate investors. And it's something that can't be replicated, I think, on Zoom or in a Facebook group. Like the in-person connection is just a totally different power than, than the digital and the online. The energy that you draw Absolutely. from everybody there. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and I'll wrap it up by saying this, that I, I think there's a large scale connection that happens at things like PPCon. Right, where you, you've got 1,500 people all, all kind of sharing the same space. But what you and I have done recently as well is that we started a, a small mastermind group with me, you, and three other investors. And I think there's a, a certain, you get really motivated and hyped up and jazzed up at the bigger scale events, right? But I think in the smaller group settings, that's when you can get a little bit more tactical and talk about real problems in your business and work through some of those things and get solutions from people that whose opinions you you value. So there's a good balance thing with the big and the small. Yeah. So our advice to everybody here would be like, find your group of people. And like, yes, it's so great to meet tons of other investors out there. But with our small little mastermind that we created, we just messaged these people on Instagram. We said, like, what do we want to get out of this? And then we looked for people that were kind of doing the same thing at the same level of us and might have the same goals. And all three of them said yes. So we set a six month deadline as to we're going to meet every single week for these six months and then we'll evaluate, is this actually beneficial to us after the six months and see how it goes. But I think becoming friends and developing a relationship is really important instead of constantly meeting new people too. It's great to meet new people, but find like those core people that are going to be there for you to pick you up, hold you accountable And you get to know them too. So I think that's really important is to not just use people for networking, but also build those friendships and those relationships long-term. Wonderful advice, Ashley. And I'm grateful, right? 2021 was a fantastic year in a lot of different ways for for both of our businesses. And honestly, I'm I'm just really excited to see what 2022 has in store for us. And, you know, maybe as we go through these, you know, this next year, you and I can kind of share some more about uh, the goals we have in our business and how we're how we're making progress or maybe not making progress towards uh, towards making those goals a reality. (laughs) And we just want to give a big thank you to all of our listeners. Our year wouldn't have been as great without you guys and all of the guests that we've had onto the show. There is nobody more inspirational or motivational than a rookie investor. And we are so thankful to have you guys and to be in this position. So thank you guys so much for continuing to listen and also to share your advice with us on the Rookie Facebook group, on the YouTube channel, in our DMs and across Instagram and helping others learn to be real estate investors. I'm Ashley at Welcome Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. We'll see you guys next time. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own.
Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.